This is the Smart Communications Smart Communications Smart Communications Podcast. Developing the voices voices, voices. Developing, developing the, the voices, voices determine nonprofits. Brought to you by Big Duck. Every June, this crazy thing happens in New York. About 2,000 plus fundraisers descend on the Marriott Marquis Hotel in Times Square for a fabulous event that they like to call Fundraising Day in New York. Fundraising Day New York is the single largest one-day conference of fundraising in America, I believe, and it is organized by the New York City chapter of the Association of Fundraising Professionals, or AFP. And every June, we usually go to Fundraising Day, and we like to learn from fundraising experts. We often lead sessions, and we're always interested to hear um, how fundraisers are perceiving communications. So this year, Farah Trumpeter and I brought our podcasting equipment along. And we went around and asked a series of fundraisers the same question. And the question was, what can communications do to support development? Here's some of what we heard. I think the number one thing is really great supporting materials and listening carefully and making sure our stories are told really well in a way that our donors will love and respond to. I think it can spread a nonprofit's message to uh, those who really care and help them raise money, which is what they really need, and spread the message and spread the mission. So I think the most important thing communications can do is really work collaboratively with the fundraising staff. Well, the most important part of the messaging is talking about the impact of the gift. Because of you, we were able to accomplish so much. So to quantify it, to be able to say, because you donated, we were able to feed so many children, clothe so many children, house so many people. And each time, spelling it, that impact, not just at the time of appeal, but also through all the stewardship functions when you're not asking for money. Keep that conversation going so that each time you ask and do an appeal, that they see how far your gifts go. Communication should support the development and fundraising efforts by telling our story one person at a time to help us raise more money and help donors understand what it is that we do. So I actually think that donor communications is the single most important strategy or element of relationship building with donors. So when I talk about donor relationship building. I'm talking about there should be donor-centered communications. So that, of course, includes solicitation letters, but it really includes the missive I get, the newsletter, the whatever that tells me how you've spent my money and how important I am in my investment. And then I also want extraordinary experiences, which are beyond the newsletter. But there's tons of people who will never connect as donors around other extraordinary experiences like those thank you calls or that insider update visit or whatever. I want donors to open the newsletter and go, oh, my gosh, this is what I did. Communications needs to be the bridge between my donor's passion and the mission and vision of our organization. So now we're back in the studio here at Big Duck, and Farah Trumpeter and I are sitting down to talk about what we learned, and more specifically, how communications can help fundraisers in their year-end appeals throughout the year with all kinds of things, fundraising, and just in general. Welcome, Farah. Thanks, Sarah. So this is a topic that I think is near and dear to my heart and to yours because we both are very passionate about fundraising, but oftentimes they seem as really separate. Why do you think that is? Why do you think communications and fundraising aren't always more aligned? 
frankly, I think for many organizations, it comes right down to the budget where communications staff and resources for communications are allocated very differently than communications. And with development and communications being allocated differently, there is a natural tension into how the resources are spent, who gets to do what, who gets to make what calls. And there's almost um, a conflict that's built into how most organizations structure their approach to development and communications. And I think that very structural difference has led to what is the natural phenomenon we often refer to as silos in these organizations. I totally agree with you. I also think there's this dynamic about who owns the relationship that contributes to that silo phenomenon or, or turf-like phenomenon. One of the ways that I think about it, and we often talk about it, is in terms of a ladder of engagement, where it's often the job of the communications team to feed the pipeline, to start to get people into the ladder of engagement, to reach people who are unaware of the organization, get them to start thinking about knowing the organization. But as they start to come in, that relationship kind of transfers over to the development staff. The fundraisers are the people who actually determine how those people get solicited and whether it's personal or whether it's a big gift or a small gift. And so there's this kind of murky line between what is the communications turf and what is the development turf on a lot of projects. I think particularly with year-end appeals, are there other projects where you see that tension? I think just even just in the year-round communications, some organizations will split it by relationship status, like you said. So is somebody a current donor or a prospect? Are they an activist? Are they a volunteer? And depending on their action and previous engagement with the organization is how it's defined. Others are by channel. So you talk to the people who visit our website or who are our Facebook followers and check us on Instagram, but I'm going to talk to the people who come to our gala or who may have make a bequest. And it's divided by kind of um, the size of the relationship or, again, that communications channel. So it can happen all the time, not just in year end. But I also see this turf issue or who owns that relationship within development, right? So not just is it development versus comms, but is it someone who's dealing with individual donations, major gifts, again, plan giving. And there's just a lot of tension between, because I think, again, these staff are required to meet a bottom line. You know, we don't like to say quota or think about a quota in the nonprofit world, but there is budget realities that you do have to generate a certain amount of revenue and people approach generating that revenue different ways. And I often find there isn't one universal plan to do that. At Fundraising Day New York, I led a session on capital campaign communications with Bonnie Epstein, who's the vice chancellor for development at the Jewish Theological Seminary. And Bonnie leads a large team and raises a lot of money on that team. And one of the things she's worked hard to do on her team that she talked about in the session is to have individual goals for people on her team, but also team goals to incentivize the fundraisers on her staff to really work collaboratively and not to be too competitive, which is, I think, a great strategy for getting people aligned. Although usually that sense of targets or you know how the team functions versus the individual functions exists only within development, it doesn't also extend to how communications plugs in, it seems. Yeah, I think it comes down to how big the organization is too. Do they even have comm staff or is the communication staff a whole department? Or And again, we've talked about this, I think, before. Does communications report to development? Does development report to communications? Are they all under one umbrella? We worked with an organization where comms reports to the CEO, but development also reports to CEO, but they're almost kind of on peer lines. They're in two different literal locations. And that can make it just very difficult. 
So if part of the job of the communications team is to chum the waters so that development staff can go fishing, those two teams have to work really closely and collaboratively. We've talked a lot about, you know, should comms report to development or not in in different contexts. We've seen organizations do it all kinds of ways. You know, where I've sort of netted out on that question is that it doesn't necessarily matter if comms is a separate department or rolled into another department. What really does matter is the quality of the relationship and how well people collaborate, because whether they're in your department or not, if the fundraising team views the communications team as adversarial or challenging or that they don't get it, it's going to be hard to collaborate and vice versa. Yeah. And the worst part of that is we always talk about having strong relationships with our donors. If you don't have a strong relationship inside with your team, you're never going to have a strong relationship with your donors. Absolutely. So we heard in those clips from the the people we talked to at Fundraising Day, and we'll link to who they were in the show notes, but they were some pretty exceptional people with you know a lot of rock stars in the fundraising world that we got a chance to connect with. And what you don't hear in those clips are tactics. You don't hear, they should make things look pretty, the comms people, or they should write snazzy copy. You hear a narrative about impact, about helping articulate the message of the organization. Turned out not to be an easy question for fundraisers to answer, but I thought the answers that we did hear from the people who are willing to actually be recorded were pretty substantive. And it makes me wonder what you think are important ways that communicators should help development beyond what we heard at Fundraising Day. One of the things that I think is important is just to remember to put yourself in the minds of the donor. And it can be hard to do that when you're working day in, day out for an organization. So I often recommend to organizations, if you're in charge of development, ask your significant other, your best friend, whoever it is, to read the thing you're about to send out to make a donation and watch them go through that process, almost do like a user testing to take a look at the information they get over email or what they see on screen. Because often we forget these things we've set up and we forget to really look at it with a critical eye. And many times when we are viewing that together with organizations, we see that it's written in a very organization-centric tone. So it's all about the organization, how great they are, which is, of course, important, but doesn't get into either things like that impact and really helping me understand why I should invest in you, but also appealing to the heart. We always talk about the head and the heart. You want to make sure to keep both in mind. I'll pause there for that one tip. I think that's a great tip. We talk about it as being audience-centric, not organization-centric. But when you live and work inside the organization, it can be difficult to not approach copy or messaging in an organization-centric way. An example of an organization-centric way of communicating would be to say, we help 150 people every week do X, Y, Z. We do this. We do that. We have this great thing. We really need your help. Whereas audience-centric would help the donor see themselves in it. So by supporting our work, you can help us feed XYZ. Here's a story about somebody who's going to benefit. Here's what it's like for them. Here's how that affects you. So it's kind of putting the organization in the backseat of the narrative as opposed to having the organization in the front seat. Right. Some organizations even remove the word help. It's sort of like you feed 200 people. You do that. Now, there's criticisms of that approach because donors are not literally doing the work of the organization, but they want to feel like they are. And the organizations that have found that right balance that make it feel like whether it's my $50 or $50,000 gift, I am genuinely helping that organization carry out the mission. Those are the ones that seem to really resonate and build that relationship so the donor hopefully remembers them, that next email, the next Facebook post, whatever it is that comes up, and thinks to connect with them. 
So you have for, I think, three years now, maybe four years, you've been leading an all-day workshop on donor communications planning. And this is a workshop that is designed to help people really think about how to communicate with donors all year long so that they stay engaged. And I'm curious, you know, in those workshops, who shows up? Are they fundraisers? Are they people with fundraising jobs? Are they people with communications jobs? And, and what are some of the big things you see those people struggling with as they try to get better at donor communications? You know, it continues to be a mix. I would say probably skews toward development people that come to those workshops because the word donor is in the title. And again, I think most organizations think about who does communications based on the relationship the person has with the organization. So you do the activists, you talk to our prospects, I'm going to talk to our donors. So I'd say it leans more toward development. Honestly, the biggest thing I hear is time. People don't have enough time to do it well. There is just pressure to get things out. Yes, I understand this is the right way to get it done, but... I have all these other things I have to do. When I last taught that workshop, somebody flagged just an issue with stakeholder engagement, which we also talk a lot about, where they had written all these appeals that were ready to go out to donors, but their boss hadn't read and approved them. So they were sitting on materials that they couldn't even send out. And it's that problem when donors don't hear from you, they will forget about you. And making sure that not only you have the plan to communicate well, but there's buy-in from your team to help you move it along. You can't do this by yourself. So this is another piece where I think communications, the hat of communications, whether it's worn by a development person or worn by somebody with communications as their job title, is super important because part of what the communications perspective is about is first helping the organization speak with a clear and consistent voice, but secondly, maintaining top of mind awareness, which is what you're talking about. You know, donors forget if we aren't in touch with them. This is why we see over and over again, the same products advertised all over the place. So we don't forget about them. So part of the job of the development staff or the communication staff is to make sure they're on the radar of the donors. So my question for you is if you could wave a magic wand that might relieve some of the challenges that in-house fundraisers and communicators have that get in the way of their donor communications, what kinds of things would you want to remove? I mean, it sounds like you'd want to make more hours in the day for sure, but is there a challenge with leadership buy-in or what else gets in the way? Again, I think just that thinking by department or by function and not by person and really getting people to take the time, whether it is in a quarterly planning session, a weekly or monthly meeting to just stop and look at the big picture and say, okay, what is the theme? What are the communications we're sending out? Yes, it's important to make sure our newsletter doesn't go out literally within an hour of an email appeal, which I have seen happen because, again, controlled by different people, maybe even in different systems. But really, what is the story we're telling? What are the opportunities we're giving to our community to engage with us? I mean, that's one of the biggest challenges we see as donors feeling like they're you know, an ATM machine for people who still use those. An ATM, not anyway, you get the gist. <laughs> ATM machines still exist, I think. <laughs> but the M is machine. Anyway, so an AT machine. When all you do is ask donors to give, 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 and you're not giving them opportunities to send an alert, answer a survey, give their feedback on a poll, give their feedback to something you're asking them about that maybe you're struggling with as an organization then they tend to feel frustrated that all you care about is their money. And I think if I could wave my magic wand, it would just be honestly for people to talk more and take a little bit of time to plan. I don't want to see them spending their weeks in planning sessions, but periodically not just making the plan, but reviewing it and making sure that there is communication internally so that that external messaging feels so much more coordinated and compelling. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think that little bit of time you spend to proactively plan, whether it's sitting down with your colleagues, 
once a month or once a quarter, talking about what's coming up, making sure everybody's on the same page, mapping out some things you know you should be doing based on what's happening within your organization or what's happening within the world. Maybe also using that time to report back. I mean, I think one of the great ways to build love between people with different job functions is to celebrate successes and say, hey, you know that email we tried last month that felt like kind of a risk? Well, here's what the open click-through and conversion rates were. Or look at all the new donors we got from this thing. And that will be, I think, often a way you can build trust and kind of the connective tissue between people in your departments. Yeah. One of the other things I heard at Fundraising Day in one of the sessions I attended, which I really liked, was uh, it was actually a session for major donors and about big transformational fundraising capital campaigns, was the idea of trying to get fundraisers to move from a brain space of pitch and sell to listen and learn. And again, it comes back to that idea of not just throwing a bunch of things at donors or prospects, but actually asking them, what do you care about? Why do you even support us? I mean, that's one of the first things I talk about in that donor comms workshop. Why do you support organizations you care about? And that most of us have actually no idea why our donors support us. And if we don't know that, how are we ever going to create communications that resonate? That's one of the reasons I'm not generally a big fan of people with job titles that reflect channels like social media manager or email marketing specialist or something like that. Because if you give somebody a job that is channel specific, essentially their mandate is to just always be using that channel. And it kind of takes the focus away from the relationship, as you talked about earlier, and puts it on a medium. But it's not about the medium. It's about what the donor what the, the donor's experience, what they are looking for from you. The medium is the message. Marshall the McLuhan. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So just as we wrap up, are there any other parting tips or recommendations you have for communications to serve development better? Yeah. I mean, you spoke about who we are for a moment. You know, I grew up professionally starting off in fundraising. I was doing direct response fundraising, thinking about things like direct mail and telemarketing, and then got into the early days of online fundraising, then became a broader communicator and branding person. And it is because of that, I look at fundraising through a communications lens. And one of the big important lessons I think is helpful to remember is the idea of vision. And that every now and then it is also really helpful to zoom back out and remember why does your organization exist? What is the change you're trying to create for the world? What is your why? And again, there's a great TED talk by Simon Sinek, Start With Why. We often talk about that in our branding work with positioning as well as with your vision. Like, why does your organization exist? If we did distill it down to really what is the essence of who you are and why you're needed, what is that? And making sure you don't lose sight of that in the very specific appeals you send out or messages you send because... It is that why that really is what motivates donors to give. So if you haven't thought about your why or figuring out when was the last time you even talked about it, that's a really important step. That's awesome. Yeah. And I would bet that if you've got that why conversation, that vision conversation and values alignment, which is another thing you and I have talked a lot about and written a lot about, you're probably 90% towards a great relationship with a donor. Definitely. Farrah Trumpeter, thank you for joining me today. Sarah Durham, thank you for having me. And look for us both at Fundraising Day New York and many other AFP conferences. We'd love to talk to you about what you think communications can do to support development. This is the Smart Communications Podcast, developing the voices of determined nonprofits. Brought to you by Big Duck. Big Duck is an agency that puts smart communications in the hands of nonprofits. We help our nonprofit clients develop strong brands, strong campaigns, and strong teams that advance their missions and achieve their goals. Connect with us at BigDuckNYC.com.